You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I realize many of you are going through withdrawal this morning because we didn't print a bulletin and you have no idea how to function in church without a bulletin. How many of you are struggling with that right now? Okay, that's all right. Um, we've actually thought about doing away with that altogether, but we think we'd have a revolt. So uh, no bulletin today, but that is no excuse not to take some notes. Um, uh, it, it is a great day to celebrate things that are new, but there is nothing to celebrate a, about a planet that circles around the sun every 365 year, days. Uh, the, the planet's broken, okay? Um, uh, fortunately, it still works to where it, it goes around the sun once a year, but um, the word new is, is, is that's, that's one of our words. I mean, the world has to borrow that word from from gospel-oriented people because the gospel is about new things. God is a fan of things that become new. And if you're in Christ, you know what it's like to be made new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that um, all who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, have become new creations of God. The old has passed away and what has come? The new has come. One day God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And I hope that you are a person that's experienced the new birth. And if you haven't, no matter how bad last year was, here's the promise of the gospel. All things can become new. No matter how bad you were or how good you were, Today is a day of new things. So Christmas is over and kind of today's kind of the day we kind of put a bow around that and set it aside. And um, if you are a Bible person, you already know the passage I had you open up to is famous for what? What, what, what is in Luke chapter 2? That's the Christmas story, right? Many of you even read that to your children on Christmas morning, and, and uh, the video that we saw kind of contained the story of the first half of Luke chapter 2. And as I was thinking about what God would have me bring uh, to you this morning, I began to think about, well, what comes after the Christmas story in the biblical narrative? And so I've asked you to open to Luke chapter 2 because I want to show you what happened next in the Christmas story. Story. So let's begin reading here in Luke chapter 2. And um, I want us to begin reading in verse 39. It says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So in the video that we saw earlier, it's the story about how Mary and Joseph packed up everything and Mary was pregnant and they made their journey into Bethlehem from Nazareth and that's where Jesus was born and they went through all the things there and then here we finally get to the part where they go back home. They return to things and start the the normal rhythms again. I don't know about you, I am ready for the normal rhythms uh, as we start this next year, getting back into the normal rhythms. And so they go back to Nazareth and the normal rhythms start. Then in verse 40, we're told this, and the child, who was that? The child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. The title of the message today 
is how to live a life that invites the favor of God. And so it's an interesting passage here. If you look in the next part, the next 10 verses tell us this really incredible story about how Jesus grew up in the next scene, the page is turned and and we see Jesus no longer a baby in a manger, but we find out that we we get this little snapshot of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. And Mary and Joseph go into the the, into Jerusalem to worship, and in the process, they lose, they lose 12-year-old Jesus. How many of you, as a parent, have ever lost a, a child? And, uh, and how many of you found them? Uh, good, that's, a, that's, a, that's the good news. Um, and and I, I remember at one point, we, we kind of lost Zach for, for a few minutes at Disney World, but uh, fortunately, he returned uh, safe and sound. There, there's a bit of a frantic commotion going on here at the end of the story. Now, listen. I'm not going to read that little section because that's next week's message. We're going to save that part for next week. Do not miss church next week. One of the most important sermons I've ever preached next week. Turn to your neighbor and say, you do not want to miss church next week. Now, next week, they're going to turn and they're going to see, they're going to, are you there next week? In that same spot, okay? So don't miss church next week. Very important. We've got a big announcement next week. It's all good, but big things are, are there's a few changes we're going to make around here. I want to make that announcement next week. I'm not going to preach that this week. I'm going to fast forward through that, and I want you to go back down to the end of the story, verse 52. And it says this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so we, we kind of have this sandwich here. Verse 40 says, the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom and favor with, of God was upon him. Then verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You know, it's, it's amazing. We make these, these figurines and these nativity sets and, and we just love to see the little baby Jesus. But have you ever seen a figurine of Jesus as a 12 year old? We don't, we don't make statues and figures and not a lot of artwork. But, and do you know why? Do you remember what you looked like when you were 12? <laughs> not your finest moment, right? Really? Let me, let me show you a random group of 12-year-olds here. Um, <laughs> from Lawton, Oklahoma in 1977. And now you're going on a curious search for your pastor as a 12-year-old. How many of you think you've spotted him? Well, that's not him. Find somebody else. All right, now I want you to look down there in the front row. Go all the way to the left. Do you see that good-looking guy on the end there? Okay, that's my friend. I'm the ugly fat guy next to him in the red sweater, okay? And you're cruelly laughing. That's why we don't have artwork and figurines of Jesus as a 12-year-old, okay? But we have this little snapshot of him, and the Bible says that Jesus grew. All in favor of growing out of that phase. Yeah, but Jesus grew, and he increased, and so if you are a 12-year-old, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? There is hope for you, okay? And your goal is to grow in wisdom and in favor with God and with man. Now, I am not big into resolutions, but this morning we're going to look at three things that we're going to have some resolve about. 
resolutions, not a big fan, resolve, big fan. God's a big fan of resolve. So there's three things that we want to have resolved here this morning. I'm going to invite you to make the new year a year in which you resolve to pursue these three things. They're all out of verse 52 here. And the first is this. Resolved, I will grow in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. How, how, how is that even possible? It's hard for us in our finite minds to even think about the incarnation that somehow God became a man and he became everything that it means to be a man without losing anything that it means to be God. I don't understand how God can grow, but in his humanity, we have an example of 12-year-old Jesus who was growing in wisdom. Well, I want to be like that. And I want to make the new year a year that I grow in wisdom. So we need to ask the question, what is wisdom? Well, first of all, let's understand what is not. Wisdom has nothing to do with intelligence. How many of you are grateful that wisdom has nothing to do with your intelligence? Okay. Um, The sad reality is this. Some of the most intelligent people on the planet are foolish. You see, when your intelligence outpaces your wisdom, you make incredibly foolish choices. You become dangerous to yourself and to others. And so it's not about intelligence. Wisdom is simply this. Wisdom is living your life from God's perspective. If you could see everything God sees, you would do everything God says. And that's wisdom. And if we would simply believe what God has said, it would keep us out of foolish behavior and foolish consequences. Fortunately, God has revealed to us his wisdom. His will and his ways contained for us in a book that we have in front of us that puts guardrails on our lives that keeps us out of the ditches of foolish behavior. And yet so often we think we know better than God because we think we're so intelligent and yet we aren't wise. And so we need to grow in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. Wisdom is not something you're born with. When I'm talking to parents, sometimes I I, I like to help them understand. You have to understand that your child is born with two tanks on the inside. And one of the tanks is absolutely filled to overflowing, splashes out everywhere. Do you know what the label is on the outside of this tank? What is it, parents? Foolishness. Has any of your children's foolishness ever splashed out and gotten on you? Yeah, And, and it creates a mess, doesn't it? And there's another tank on the inside of a child when they are born into this world. This one is absolutely bone dry. You know what that tank is? That's the wisdom tank. You know what the job of a parent is? Drain the foolishness, fill up the wisdom. We're told that Jesus was filled with wisdom. And his wisdom splashed out over and got on everybody. And so if you are a person who has yet to have the foolishness tank drained, let this be the year that you resolve, I am going to grow in wisdom and I am going to extract the foolishness out of my own life. 
And if you had foolish behavior in the last year, then let this be the year that you grow in wisdom. So the obvious question is, okay, I'm in. Resolved, I will grow in wisdom. Question, how? How do I grow in wisdom? Well, the first one may not seem very profound. I got four things for you. First of all, ask God to give you wisdom. It doesn't sound very profound, but it's exactly what he told us to do in James chapter one, verse five. He says, if any of you lack wisdom. Now I'm looking around the room. Anybody be humble enough to admit, you know, I lack a little wisdom. Um, any husbands uh, would say, you know, I'm, I'm lacking a little wisdom in, in how to actually understand and comprehend my wife because she is a complex creature and she is so much more intricately wired than I am. And I, I need some wisdom in actually cherishing her and nourishing her and investing in her. Guys, need a little wisdom in that? What should you do? Ask God to help you have the wisdom to love her, to cherish her, and to nourish her. How many of you ladies would say, you know what, I'm lacking a little wisdom in, in living with a guy that lacks wisdom in loving me? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so what should you do? Some of you say, I pray for him that he would get... No, 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 no. <laughs> Ask God to give you the wisdom to love and respect the man that at some times doesn't have all the wisdom he needs to fully comprehend, understand, nourish, and cherish you. And so God says he will give wisdom to those that say, I lack some wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. When's the last, last time you asked God for the wisdom to live between the guardrails? He says, who gives generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. Everything you need, God loves to provide. He's waiting for you to say, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not creative enough, I'm not rich enough, I'm not educated enough, therefore, I need wisdom from God to live in a way that invites his favor. And so Jesus grew in wisdom. I want this to be a new year where I grow in wisdom. Here's another thing you can do. Not only ask God, but trust your authorities. Trust your authorities. What does that have to do with wisdom? Well, you would be surprised. As a matter of fact, it's right here in the text. We read verse 52. Let your eyes go up one verse to verse 51, before I read it, let me give you the context. Remember, Jesus has been lost. And where does Jesus go when he's lost? He goes to his father's house, God the Father. And so Mary and Joseph are frantically looking for him and, and, and they find him in the temple. He goes there to worship, he goes there to listen. And eventually they start listening to him because he's got his wisdom spilling out over everything. And so Jesus is in there instructing the instructors about the will and the ways of God. And right in the middle of that, Mother Mary burst into church and says, Jesus, where have you been? Go get in the camel. editorializing a little bit here, but you, you, you can see this interaction happening between a frantic mom and a 12-year-old kid. They've been separated. She finds him, and she gives him an order. 
And remember, Jesus created his own mother. She's talking to God, omnipotent God. And she tells him what to do. If you were Jesus, what would you have done? Mom, I'm a little busy. I'm actually instructing these people about the will and the ways of God. I'll be there in a while. Is that what you would have said? Look at what he says in verse 51. It says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus, in his humanity, submitted himself to limited, sinful, human authority. And the very next verse says, and Jesus increased in wisdom. If you are not a person who values the God-given authority that he has placed over your life, if you have a tendency to rebel and want to be autonomous, to question authority, to find the, the inauthenticity of your authorities, you'll never grow in wisdom. Jesus submitted himself to his mother. Jesus was perfect, you're not. What's holding you back? And so if you wanna grow in wisdom, Submit yourself to the authorities until you get wisdom. God wants to use the authority, the wisdom of your authorities to build wisdom into you. Here's another thing that you can do. Ask God, trust your authorities. Thirdly, choose wise friends. How's that going? You hanging out with foolish people? And are you doing foolish things because you're hanging out with foolish people? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, he who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. You have some regrets about some things that you did because you were trying to please foolish people. Maybe in the new year, you need to sever some foolish relationships and start hanging around with some people that are wiser than you so that their wisdom can spill over onto you. And then finally... Learn in the hard times. There's a verse in uh, the previous chapter of this book, Luke chapter 1, verse 80. It's not speaking of the boy Jesus. It's actually a verse about his cousin. What was his name? What was his name? John, John the baptizer. And in Luke 1, 80, it says this. And the child, John, grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Some of you are kind of arguing with me in your head saying, you know, I, I would be wise, but Trent, you just don't understand how hard my life is. You don't understand how foolish my parents were. You don't understand how much I lack and, and how little income and, and, and the, the addictions that I have. And it, life's been really hard. I don't, I, I mean, if, if life was easier, I would be wiser. Can I challenge that a little bit? Look at this verse. John became strong while he was in the wilderness. Does it seem like last year was a wilderness to you? Dry, scarce, hard, dangerous, dangerous. 
surrounded by ferocious animals? That's a wilderness. And yet God wants to use all of that to build some spiritual muscle in you so you can be strong in preparation for what's coming next. John's public appearance. His ministry was forged in the wilderness. And so if it feels like last year was a wilderness for you, don't complain about that. Don't try to escape that. Let God use that to build spiritual muscle in you to make you strong and to fill you with wisdom. So resolved, say it with me. I will grow in favor with God. Say, now that's number two. Resolved, I'll just go ahead and put it up. Resolved, I will grow in favor with God. Throw that up for me if you would, thank you. Resolved, let's say that together. Resolved, I will grow in favor with God. That's the next thing that we see in verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, what's next? And in favor with God. Now, if you've been attending Harvest for any time at all, you know, this is a church that is gospel-centered, which means one of the most often repeated themes around here is this. You can't do anything to get the favor of God because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Did you just call me a dirty, rotten sinner? Like, true, you've been telling us that for years. Yeah, well, see, that's the problem. Dirty, rotten sinners don't invite the favor of God. And so if you have been a recipient of the favor of God, it is because of his free and sovereign gift. He has put his favor on you, not because of anything you have done, but because of what Christ has done. And if you've trusted Christ, then you are given the favor of God as if you were a child of God, Jesus Christ. And so that is a free and gracious gift of God. You can't do anything. You can't give it. You, you can't buy it. You, favor is unmerited and unearned. Is that the theme you've heard around here? Okay. And so how am I going to tell you to grow in favor with God if I've told you there's nothing you can do to get it? Listen, you can't do anything to gain the favor of God, but the Bible is filled with stories of men and women who trusted God and obeyed God at a level that it invited his favor. And it's filled with tragic stories of men and women who disbelieved and distrusted and disobeyed God and their life was filled with horrible, tragic consequences. And so though there is nothing you can do to gain the favor of God, there are a thousand things you can do to invite the favor of God. And we know that from Isaiah chapter 66, verse two. Look at this one verse that kind of is a foundation verse for us here. God announces... This is the one to whom I will look. Did you know that there are some people that draw the attention of God? Their lives are filled with two things. He says, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So how do you invite the favor of God? First of all, you have to give up your pride. Now, we think of a proud person as somebody that's boastful and arrogant and is always talking about their accomplishments. That's probably not your greatest temptation. It may be, if that's you, you need to give up your pride. But for most of us in here, 
our temptation is just simply to live a life that's independent from God. It's a life that says, God, I don't, I don't really sense a need for you today. I got money in the bank. Things are going okay in the marriage. Temperature's above freezing. Um, I think I can get through the day okay without you. That is not a humble and contrite spirit. Humble and contrite means I am so aware of my neediness before God that I am in constant conversation asking God for help and I'm constantly confessing the unfinished business in my life and the, the limited knowledge I have of my creator and the great attraction I still have to sin. Help God, I need you. That is humble and contrite and that is the one to which God looks. And God says, let's get some favor over to that guy. Let's clear a path for grace to that guy. You wanna invite God's favor? Have an attitude that says, in every moment, in every day, God, I need you more than I have ever needed you before. As much as I've ever needed you, I need you now. God, I need you. That is an attitude that is humble and contrite in spirit. And then this, give your attention to God's word. Give your attention to God's word. Isaiah 66, two, this is the one to whom I will look, to him who trembles at my word. Notice it does not say to him who reads my word. It doesn't say to him who preaches my word. God is looking at people who tremble in response to hearing the voice of God directing their lives into wise choices. And so, yes, read God's word. The new year's always a great time to, to, to resolve, to, to let reading the Bible be a part of your daily schedule. And, if, and all of us need some help in that. And there's so many wonderful apps now that you just throw up on your phone. And today it tells you you're going to read these three verses. And if you do that for the next 365 days, you will have read all of God's word in a year. Do that, do that, do that. But listen, while you're reading it, ingest it so much on the inside that it actually creates a responsiveness that causes you at times to tremble. That God loves you so much, he would actually speak to you to disclose who he is, to give you direction and wisdom for the way that you're to live your life. And everywhere your life is outside of those guardrails, tremble, fear, and let that fear pull you back inside the boundary. You want to invite God's favor? Don't allow a 24-hour period of time go by without hearing the word of God. And let it affect you so much that you tremble as God speaks. Here's another thing that you can do to invite God's presence. It's this. Give God everything that belongs to him. I was talking with somebody recently that was really worried and stressed out about 
their finances. They had a job, but they felt like they weren't being paid fairly and they're trying to figure out how they can kind of manipulate the boss into giving them more money. And, and I just, maybe I just quit this job, go work for somebody else. I, I just, and, and as they were stressing about it, I saw the stress. I was like, well, I just, I don't, I don't want you to be stressed. Can I just simply ask you a question? Do you tithe? Tithe? I can't afford to tithe. Haven't you heard me? I've been sitting here telling you about how I don't have enough money. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Do you want God to bless your finances? Do, do you want God to make what you have be enough? Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Why would you expect God to bless your finances if you're not putting him first in what he's already given to you? You see, the Bible teaches us a very clear principle. If you want to invite the favor of God on your finances, you have to put God first. Malachi chapter three says this, will a man rob God? Now listen, it is dumb to rob a bank. If you're contemplating that in the new year to, to fix your financial situation, let me just tell you that is not the wisest move for you, okay? It is, it, is, it is foolish to rob a 7-Eleven, but let me tell you the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Rob God. You talk about surveillance cameras, okay? This is one robbery you will never get away with, okay? God sees it all, and he knows when you've got his money in your pocket. Will a man rob God? You say, what? Nobody would do that. Who would be so stupid? And he says, yet you are robbing me. How are we doing that? How have we robbed you? And God gives the answer in your tithes and your offerings. The word tithes is an interesting word. It's kind of an old word. We won't use it much. It means 10th. So God's plan for your finances is this. God longs and loves to bless and to favor you in your finances when you put him first. And so for everything God gives you, 10% is to be given back to him. It all belongs to him, but the 10% is a reminder to me that it all belongs to him. And listen, 90% with you and God is more than 100% with you on your own. I hear amens every time I say that because people are like, yeah, I do that. And I don't know how it works mathematically, but somehow when I do this, I always end the year with more money in my bank account than I did the year before when I didn't tithe. And listen to these people are like, yeah, it works, it works. It's like, I can't figure it out. I can't, it doesn't make any sense. It seems kind of foolish to people that don't get it. But when you do that, do you know what God promises? Listen to what he promises. You want to invite God's favor? He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And we believe this, the modern storehouse is the local church. It's God's work. It's God's, God's house. And this, this is the, the first place that you should give. It, the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. There is one area where God has said you can test him. Now, don't try to test him in any other area, okay? That'd be foolish, but here's wisdom. God says, test me in this. 
and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. Anybody want to sign up for that program? God, you just you open everything in heaven is available to me and pour down this blessing. Sign me up. God says, put me first in the tithe. By the way, in, in December, I've been telling you we've, we've had an opportunity to give an end of year gift for some things. And, and uh, there was about $122,000 left to pay off the remaining portion of our last expansion project. And uh, have you heard me been telling you about that? Yeah, and I, I've told you like, it'd be awesome if I could like stand here on the first Sunday of 2017 and I could tell you that, that the Lord's provided and, and, um, and we're debt free as a church. Remember been telling you that? Yeah, good. So uh, number three is this. Um, oh, you want me to actually give you an update? Did you want that? Okay, well, um, there, there may be some remaining gifts that we weren't able to count at the last minute. Some of you last minute givers, wonderful, thank you, but maybe we haven't counted all those. But so far, there's been about 100 giving units that we've been able to calculate. And uh, from those 100 give, giving units, a family's a giving unit or an individual's a giving unit, uh, there's been um, just over $200,000 given toward that need. That is to be celebrated. And I trust that if you are applauding, you were part of the 100, okay, so if... And if you weren't, then like you're applauding everybody else taking care of the church while you're enjoying all the benefits from it. So you might want to get on this program and be a part of what God's doing. And, and it just, it's an evidence that we're trusting God and putting God first. And we're going to expect in the new year that there is going to be a blessing that's going to meet every need. And you can test God in that. Here's the third thing. Resolved. I will grow in favor with man. Do you see it in verse 22? Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus lived a life with such integrity, impeccable character, selfless service and sacrifice, honesty, a work ethic that couldn't be questioned in any way that gave him an audience with men to share the good news that they could be made right with God. Now, if you're an intelligent listener, you should be asking the question, if Jesus increased in favor with men, why did they murder him at the end of his life? That doesn't sound like he had a whole lot of favor at the end. True. but they didn't have a problem with his life. They had a problem with his message. And the same should be true for those that follow him. We should live lives of such character and integrity and honesty and purity that there's nothing to question in our character. If they're offended, let them be offended at our message. And that's what offended them with Jesus. Not his life, but his message. In James chapter 3, we've been talking about wisdom. He correlates this wisdom that we receive from God to our horizontal relationships with men. He says this, James 3 verses 13 through 17, who is wise and understanding among you? 
by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Do you get it? Meekness with wisdom. And in our horizontal relationships, that meekness shows up like this. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Does that describe your relationships? Disorder? and vile practice. He says the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So as he's talking about wisdom, he turns the whole thing vertically, turns it horizontally and talks to us about our relationships with men. If you want there to be favor in your relationships, let those relationships be filled with purity, peace, gentleness, openness to reason, mercy, good fruit, impartiality, and sincerity. Can I ask you, are you out of favor with some people in your life? Marriage, former marriage, children, parents, teachers, employers, teammates, coaches. Are there some people you're out of favor with because there's been an absence of gentleness and kindness? There's rather been jealousy and bitterness and strife. If you want in the new year for God to change that relationship, you've got to resolve to grow in favor with man. Now there's two dangers when we talk about growing in favor with man. First of all is this. It's growing in favor with man while growing out of favor with God. Careful. If you have such an insatiable desire to be liked, well-known, elevated, and stroked by people around you, your desire to live in favor with man can actually trump your desire to live in favor with God. Don't be surprised if in the new year there's not a moment when you have to choose between the favor of man and the favor of God. In that moment, whosever favor you choose will determine the outcome of your life. And so if you're in a group of friends and you desire to be well-liked, to be thought favorably of, if you're in a relationship where you want a boyfriend or a girlfriend to continue to date you or like you, if somehow you have to compromise favor with God in order to keep said boyfriend or girlfriend, you're in danger of putting the favor of man before the favor of God. Here's the second danger. It's growing in favor with God while not sharing with men how to have favor with God. Let me say that again. It is a danger to be growing in favor with God while not sharing with men how to have favor with God. You know what we can do sometimes? We can create this us versus them mentality in the church. 
I mean, we're the ones that want favor with God. And here we are living within the boundaries and the world just thinks we're crazy. And so we can have this bunker mentality where we come in and we stroke ourselves and get encouragement and we take more notes and we pray and God, please save us from the horrible world out there. And, and listen, to be in favor with God means that we have to share with others how they can be in favor with God. It is the message of the cross that we carry to our friends and our neighbors and even our enemies and say, here's how I came into favor with God, not because I am good, but because Jesus is good. And he experienced the wrath of God so that I could experience the favor of God. That's the message, and we have to have an outward mentality. Yes, we gather together on the weekends, but we scatter through the week to share the message of how men can have favor with God through Christ. He offers fresh starts and new beginnings. God loves to make things new. Now, this is the way we're gonna end the service. I'm gonna invite you, just as I did the first service, to come and fill the front of our worship center here on your knees, resolving those three things that we've studied here this morning. And if it's your heart's desire that in the new year, that God would fill you with wisdom, that in the new year, you would experience the favor of God and that you would live on mission to be in favor with men. I want you to demonstrate that by coming from all over the auditorium. We don't have room for everybody down here, but we got room for a lot of people down here. And one of the things that I have a desire for our church to do in the coming year is to have a lot more freedom in our worship, even at the end of the service, to move and come and, and even as a physical demonstration to get on my knees and not be ashamed that God, I need you. And so I'm gonna invite you to come and just fill this place just right now, just get out of your seats. We're not gonna sing right now. I just want you to come, leave room for others. Let's just fill this place. Come all the way to the front here. Guys, come on over all the way to the front. Come on, all the way, come on, come on. Come on this way. Those of you that are in your seats, you can just turn right there where you're at. If you desire to kneel at your seat, we'll have room for everybody, so. Let's just bow here for a few minutes. I'm gonna lead you through these three prayers. You can kneel wherever you're at. Maybe the first thing we need to do is just simply acknowledge what's taken place in the previous year. If, if you lived a life that was outside of the boundaries, made choices that were foolish, that you regret, not characterized by wisdom. Why don't you just acknowledge that to the Lord? He knows about it. He wants to know if you know about it. Just confess. Humble yourself. This is the one to whom I will look. He who has a humble contrite spirit. Be specific. Things that God's bringing to your mind right now. 
past them. That's sin. Empty yourself. Drain that foolishness tank right now. resolved God I will grow in favor with you I want to live a life that invites your favor I want to lay down my pride I want to pick up your word why don't you resolve that you'll never be unresponsive to a single word that God would speak to you but that you would tremble in response to what he says I will give you everything that belongs to you. You can tell him, Lord, I don't know how this works. I don't know how the equation makes sense, but I trust you. And I want to give back to you the first of all that you give to me in the new year. And then finally, tell the Lord, Lord, this year I want to grow in favor with man. And I know right now there are some people that I am out of favor with. Just name those people. Ask the Lord to get in the middle of those things. Grant you a heart of compassion, forgiveness, kindness,
neighbors, co-workers, classmates, teammates. Pray for that person right now. Ask God to open their eyes and their ears to the gospel. a sacrificial spirit to go anywhere to say anything in order that some might be saved so Father you have spoken today through your word and we tremble that you would disclose your will and your ways to us you're drawing us changing us. Lord, we admit to you, we're not smart enough. We're not creative enough. We're not talented enough. We're not strong enough. We need wisdom that comes from above. And so we want to grow this year. Lord, we want to grow in favor with you. And we believe there's nothing that we could do to earn or merit your favor. And yet we want to live a life of trust and obedience that it is your pleasure make a straight path for us to provide to fulfill promises that you've made to those that live and walk with you and God we go on record that we want our relationships to be filled with peace and we want our character and our integrity to to match the message that's on our hearts and our lips God I pray that in the new year we would see favor and blessing and glory resting on our church and these individuals for those that are in the wilderness right now I pray that you give comfort that you give hope and promise that you're going to give them a circle of influence and the grace to endure so that you can do great things in and through them in the coming year we pray all of this for your glory and in the name of Jesus 